name's Michael, glad to meet you. If I haven't met you yet, I'd love to say hello before you go today, especially if you're new. We're starting a new teaching series called Fighting for Unity, which uh, has a little faint boxing ring in the back of it. And you might, uh, especially if you're new, think, why would a church want to have a conversation about fighting for unity? So I want to start this morning by just saying, why, why are we going to talk about this for the next few weeks? Um, we didn't decide to talk about fighting for unity because Mill City Church has any special division or specific decision that the church is trying to make. Uh, why we're talking about this is because I think in some unique ways, Mill City Church has drawn people together who often think differently about particular subjects. Maybe you've come across some of these people, those of you who've been around here for a while. And some people have very strong opinions about things that they disagree with uh, between people who are in our church. Uh, we come from really different backgrounds in this church. When people ask me about the makeup of the church, I often say, well, we started with a focus on a geography, on a place. We started with a focus on Northeast Minneapolis, and God has brought together a group of people who want to love their community in the name of Jesus from a lot of different spiritual backgrounds. Some people are from no church background at all. Some people are from Catholic backgrounds. Some people are from Protestant backgrounds and all sorts of different kinds of Protestant or evangelical or um, all sorts of different expressions of Christianity. And so that means we have lots of interesting conversations about theology, about practices, about the things we believe, about the ways in which we approach the Bible. And people in this church, this will be a surprise to you, have really strong opinions. You all have really strong opinions. And I want to say as we start the conversation, I love that about this church. I love that I can sit with different groups of people and they will passionately, sometimes tearfully tell me why they think whatever they think matters so much. Isn't it fun to be around passionate people? I love that we're a church that cares. We're not a church so far that's struggled with apathy. We sometimes struggle because we have different opinions and we're passionate about different things and we have to figure out how to work together and how to live together. But I, I like that set of problems. I think that's a strength of our church. I think it strengthens my faith. I don't know if you feel this way. I think it strengthens my faith when I get to hear people who have different experiences and perspectives on their relationship with Jesus than I do. So now there's some issues with this right now. There's some challenges that we're facing, and I want to name them as we start. Some people have told me and others that they feel like when they're interacting with Mill City people that they can't say exactly what they think. They don't necessarily feel safe to say what they really think about any topic. Pick a topic. Some people say they're afraid they will come across as too conservative if they say what they really think. Some people say they feel like they're going to come across as too progressive or too liberal if they say what they really think about a particular topic. Now that's a problem from my perspective because it's not great to have a diversity of opinions and passions in a community if people don't feel like they can talk about those, those perspectives and passions. The benefit of being part of a community with different opinions and things that, is that we can talk together, learn from each other, and grow in our relationship with God because we're challenged by people with different perspectives. Does that make sense? 
you, you grow when you hear from somebody who's not like you. That's why the kingdom of God is diverse. So what we do with the differences among us really matters. And that's what this teaching series is about. I want to start off by saying a few things that I hope to repeat in the next few weeks. One, it's normal to disagree. People disagree. Christians have disagreed for 2,000 years. It's normal to disagree. If everyone agrees, have you ever been in a group where everyone agrees? Don't you get nervous? Wait a minute. Did I wander into a cult? What's going on? I don't know what happened. I thought I was just getting coffee. It's normal to disagree. People disagree about things. That's okay. How we disagree, as I just said, is very important, especially for Christians. The way in which we disagree with each other is very critical, not only for us, but for all the people who see us disagree. Relational trust is the bond that holds us together amidst disagreements. Relational trust is the bond that holds us together in the midst of disagreements. If we can trust each other in relationship, we can make progress in our disagreements. Unity is not the same thing as uniformity. Being united doesn't mean that we all have to think the same thing or have the same opinions. But unity is not negotiable for the church. It's not like there's some churches that are good at unity and some that aren't. Well, that's true. But they shouldn't be. Jesus says, we're going to look at the scripture in a minute, that unity is part of who we are. Being united in Christ, in relationship with God, is part of what it means to be the church. And so we want to learn as a church and grow in our capacity to fight for unity because we know that we don't agree on everything and for the most part we think that's a good thing. We're hoping that this teaching series will help us increase that capacity to uh, search for unity and fight for unity as a congregation. So let's look at this scripture and, and let me say a prayer for us before we look at what Jesus says about this. Jesus, we know that whenever we're gathered together, you're in our presence. We also know that um, your desire for us as a church, for the church as we understand it across the world, is that we be united, that we experience unity. And God, that that unity would be a witness to the rest of the world. And so we pray over the next few weeks that you protect our church, that you protect our conversations, that you increase our ability to be respectful of one another, be respectful of differences, but also to have courage to say what's really going on in our hearts and our minds and to trust each other with those things, that they'll be met with love and compassion and humility and listening as we try to love each other the way that you've taught us to love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, two kind of basic questions as we start. The first one is, what is unity? First of all, let's try to talk about it. And why is it important? I want to turn to John chapter 17 to hear what Jesus has to say about unity. And in this chapter, Jesus is praying for um, a number of things. One of the things that he prays for is people in the future, that's us, people in the future who will believe be based on the witness of the people who saw Jesus come back from the dead and defeat death and defeat sin and tell us about it. So he's praying about these future believers in this passage. And this morning I want to read from, I don't usually do this, but I'm going to read from the message translation. 
uh, because I think it's a little bit clearer on a couple of things that are important. So here's how it reads in the message translation. It'll be on the screen too. Jesus says, I'm praying not only for them, the people who he's with right now, but also for those who will believe in me because of them and their witness about me. The goal is for all of them to become one in heart and mind. Just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. So they might be one heart and mind with us. Then the world might believe that you, in fact, sent me. The same glory you gave me, I gave them. So they'll be united, so they'll be unified and together as we are. I in them and you in me. Then they'll be mature in this oneness. And they'll give the godless world evidence that you've sent me and loved them in the same way that you've loved me. Father, I want those you gave me to be with me right where I am so they can see my glory, the splendor you gave me, having loved me long before there ever was a world. Righteous Father, the world has never known you, but I have known you. And these disciples know that you sent me on this mission. I have made your very being known to them, who you are and what you do, and continue to make it known so that your love for me might be in them exactly as I am in them. This is a prayer. This is a request. It's something that Jesus is asking the Father for. Jesus asks for unity in future believers. People who are going to hear the story of Jesus and believe with their heart that Jesus died for their sins. So unity, if we're going to understand what it is, have to first originate in the fact that it's a gift from God to us. The unity that we experience as a church is a gift from God to us. And Jesus is saying that he's sharing his glory, the glory that he's received from the Father with us, and that that brings us all together. The foundation of all these things that he's saying is that unity should first and foremost be understood as a relationship, right? He's saying, you, Father, you, you and I have a relationship that's intimate. We're one, we're together, we're of one heart, we're of one mind. We have intimacy, and that's unity. And now I have revealed you to these other folks who have decided that they want to be in that same relationship with you through me, and now they're part of our family too. And so unity at its base, the way Jesus is talking about it here, is first and foremost about relationship, not ideas. Most of the time when I hear people think about unity or talk about unity, they're talking about unifying around an idea or a perspective or a viewpoint. But that's not where it starts for Jesus. It starts in intimate relationship. And if any of you have tried to pursue unity in, in your life, you know that without strong relationship, it's very hard to find unity with anyone on anything. So Jesus is saying everything else that comes after this has to be formed by our Christian identity as people who are called sons and daughters of the Most High King through our faith in Jesus Christ 
And we're pulled into this transforming relationship with God. And that changes us. The Bible talks about us as a new creation, uh, people who are born a second time, folks who've had a renewal, a revival, a whole different life, a whole new understanding of what our life is about. And we step into that relationship, and then everything else looks different in our life. Jesus is saying unity is this gift that comes from God, that God so desires relationship with us that he became one of us and even gave up his life to draw us into this meaningful life-changing relationship and be one with him. And that's the foundation of unity in the church, relationship, not ideas. The second thing then he says here that I want to highlight is that the unity that we experience as a church in this relationship with God through Christ is meant then to be a witness, to be one of the things, if not the most important thing, that declares the love of God to the world. So sometimes we talk about in this church, how are people going to come to know that, uh, that God loves them, that Jesus did anything for them? Well, one of the answers in Scripture is that by the way that we preserve and fight for our unity, the way that we relate to each other, other people. Has anyone heard a story of someone who's rejected church or won't go to church or doesn't want to have anything to do with church because of the way that they've seen Christians fight with one another? That's a, that's a momentary experience, isn't it? People are saying, now, I hear, what, I hear what people say about Jesus. I may even have read some things about Jesus. But you're telling me that the way that these people are resolving their differences is supposed to point me to that person? And aren't they right when they say those things don't line up? They're right. They don't line up. And Jesus, knowing everything that's going to come after his death and resurrection, is praying, asking the Father to unite the church because he knows how important it is for us to deal with our differences in a way that helps the rest of the world see God's love. Not see how good we are at tearing each other down or how we can prove somebody else wrong. It doesn't say that. That's not what he's saying. Now, he, he is, he's sort of asking the disciples who are around him to understand that the way in which they love each other and the way in which they deal with their differences going forward is going to have huge implications for whether or not people will accept uh, who he is and what he has done for them. So I made a little visual of this because I wanted to make, connect some dots between who we are, what Jesus is saying about our relationship with God and our relationship with each other, our Christian identity, and how that affects the world. Because he's saying how we stay together, how we stay united affects the whole world. So here's an image to kind of help you think about it. These uh, seven boxes around the edge are all descriptions of different ways to understand or different sectors of the societies that we live in. Some of you may know that you're really invested in arts and, or media or entertainment. That's a whole section of culture. Maybe you're really involved in business. Maybe you're involved in the education sector, religion, relationships and family play a huge part in our lives. Government, politics, science, all of those things are part of the world. It's a way to kind of break down. When we say world, what do we mean? All these things are part of your life. What Jesus is saying here is our Christian identity 
our unity that's based in relationship, that comes from God, that's a gift from God, ought to inform the way we engage in anything else in the world. And what I think's happening sometimes is that we're getting these boxes mixed up in conversations. Let me tell you, let me illustrate for you what I mean. Sometimes in the government and politics box, what we're doing is Christians are having conversations assuming that's our starting place. And whatever our po political or governmental opinion is, is where we're starting the conversation. Instead of saying, well, no, we're starting the conversation as Christians. We're starting the conversation affirming our unity with God and Christ. And then we're asking, as Christians, what is the distinctly Christian way to behave in the government sector or the political sector? And I've thought many times, because I know the political perspectives on Mill City Church are really wide in this church, and I think that's good. I think we ought to maybe understand Mill City Church as an independent voter, even though Mill City Church doesn't get to vote. I know I talk to people and they want to know, is Mill City a liberal church or is it a conservative church? Do, do you get how that, that doesn't really even make that much sense, the question? What we're saying is, well, we're trying, to, we're trying to identify with God and participate in what God is doing. And sometimes we're, when we're moving in the government or political sector, we partner with different groups of people to do the things that God has called us to do. And sometimes those might be Democrats, they might be Republicans, they might be Libertarians, they might be Green Party people, but our identity doesn't start there. We move to there from our Christian identity. And the same in any other of these categories for those of you really involved in business. We've been asking these questions for the last few years. What is it like to, what is it like to be a distinctly Christian person who's doing business? Rather than saying I'm a business person who goes to church sometimes, you say, I'm a, I'm a Christian person, so the way in which I treat customers, the way in which I handle muddy, money, the way in which I reinvest profits, all those things are informed by my Christian identity. But you have to start in the middle there. Is this making sense to you? Sometimes you can trace conversations that people have had, that you've had, and you realize, listen, this has gone sideways because we started in the wrong place. We started with a disagreement in one of these areas and we didn't start with questions about how it is that God is leading us and how our Christian identity ought to inform that conversation. How do we deal with differences about how our identity should be lived out in any one of these categories? First, I wanna say by starting with our, our Christian life and saying we are sons and daughters in Christ, we know that we're based in relationship, and we know that how we treat each other in the midst of our differences has huge implications for the way people see the church. I really feel sad. I feel sad for the folks who have decided that Jesus is not meant to be part of their lives because of the way they've seen us handle our differences. And I think we ought to repent for that. I think we've messed that up pretty bad. And anyone who says to me, I can't go to church because I was part of a church where this and that happened and people blew up at each other and I couldn't believe those folks were Christians, I can't blame them. Can you? Now, my hope for them is that they would say, well, um, even though the church has been really horrible and ugly at times, it also 
is the hope of the world in many ways. And at its best, when it's at its best, people know how to disagree with each other and people know how to move forward and people know how to honor and respect each other in the midst of those disagreements in ways that's really beautiful and honoring and life-giving to folks. And we have to learn and get better at that and, and do that. I'm going to tell you a brief story as an illustration of how the early church was trying to live into Jesus' prayer. Okay? So in Acts chapter 15, some of you know the story. Some of you would be new. In Acts chapter 15, they have some drama. And the drama comes from the professors, the people who are religious experts, saying, hey, we see these non-Jewish people becoming Christians, and we want to just lift up the fact that in the Old Testament, it says that they all have to be circumcised in order to be saved. I don't, I'm not going to explain circumcision to you if you don't know what it is. I know that's a hard word sometimes, so you can, I'd suggest you Google it, but that might be bad. Ask your neighbor. So these folks said, uh, these people who are starting to follow Jesus and joining our church, they all have to be circumcised in order to be saved because that's what the scripture says. They were making a biblical argument. They were making an argument from Torah, from the law of Moses. They have to be circumcised. Now, just real practically, you can imagine why suggesting that hundreds and maybe thousands of people needed to be circumcised might be a, a hurdle that was hard for people to overcome, yes? But beyond that, some of the leaders who'd been out seeing what God had been doing in these, in these areas where people had never heard the gospel and weren't part of the Jewish community felt like that was wrong, that they didn't need to be circumcised. And in fact, it went against the gospel that they were preaching, which said it's simply by faith in Jesus Christ that you can come and be saved. That's what they'd been telling people. And so the church decides to have this gathering and they send some of the leaders back to Jerusalem and say, you all have to discuss this and figure it out and let us know what it is that you think we ought to do in the face of this conflict. So here's what happened in the story real briefly. They gather in Jerusalem. They name the question. The people who said this is what scripture says and we ought to be circumcising people state their issue. Uh, they hear from various sizes sides in scripture first. So some of scripture says this, some of scripture says this. How do we interpret it? That sound familiar to anybody? They start with scripture, they discuss scripture, they try to interpret it together, they're still on an impasse. Then they consider what it seemed like God was doing at the time. And several of their key leaders, not just random people, vetted, trusted leaders, people the church had decided were worthy of listening to, said, here's what we see God doing amongst the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people. The Holy Spirit is on them. They're confessing faith in Jesus Christ. We see evidence of fruit of God's presence in their life the same way we saw it in our own lives. We think these experiences mean that God wants us to embrace the Gentiles and include them in our family. So they consider that as a source of, of knowledge and influence and guidance from God. And then they go back with those experiences and the first conversation about Scripture, they go back to Scripture again and say, do those experiences line up with what the Bible says in various places? And after all that, amidst prayer and fasting and conversations, they reach a compromise to help both groups accept that God wants the Gentiles included in the New Church Fellowship. Then they make a communication plan to let everybody know what this is. Now, I don't think that they did this thinking, 
Here's the seven ways in which um, everybody for all future time is supposed to resolve their conflicts. But when I wrote them out for you, check out this list, I just wrote it out in bullet point form. You can see where this could really be helpful for us as we think about how do we preserve unity? How do we fight for unity in the 21st century? One, they spent time getting in the same room. People had to travel, and it wasn't easy to travel back then. So they had to go a distance to say, we can't do this by writing letters back and forth. We have to look at each other face to face, pray together, eat together, share communion together, and resolve our differences together. That was their first step. They had to state the challenge or question clearly. Sometimes there's ambiguity about what we're actually talking about. We don't even really know what it is we're trying to solve. What is the issue that we're facing together? They, all, they start with Scripture in the story, as we always should. They listen to different perspectives from trusted people. It really does matter who you listen to now. And in the 21st century, everyone has a platform and everyone has an opinion. And so we have to know, who are we listening to and why should we listen to them? What are their credentials? What is their character? What group of people have vetted them? and said these are trusted people that should be listened to on these issues, that's more and more important in the 21st century. We have to consider experiences of God's Spirit at work in the world. We ask this question all the time as a church. What is God doing? How are we supposed to respond to it? Sometimes we get the question, we answer the question wrong. We think God's doing something, and it's really not that. So part of the conversation has to be, what do we think God is doing, and how do we know? Does everyone think that? Have we seen it in more than one place? Is it confirmed? Once we have those pieces in place, then we can consider and name a solution uh, that, we, uh, that we all agree to. And we can communicate that. Now, like I said at the top of this sermon, we're not facing this right now at Mill City Church. But it seems to me that in the world and in the life of the church broadly, if a church doesn't have capacity to do this well, personally, individually, and corporately, then you're in trouble. Because inevitably, some things come up that people disagree upon, and if we have no tools by which to deal with them, we will just do what everyone does, which is split up, create a homogeneous group of people who agree with you on whatever the issue might be, and reaffirm each other's opinions on those things. This is the habit of many, many churches over the years. If we disagree, we can just start a new church. We can just start a new group. And sometimes it comes to that. Sometimes the disagreements are so fundamental that you really can't stay together. I get that. But what I'm preaching to you this morning is, as a church in our future, over the next 10 years of our life, let's do everything we can to fight for unity. Because there's something really special about being part of a group where does, everybody doesn't have to agree, and yet we're still pursuing God's mission together. And we're still seeing God do amazing things, and we're seeing people come to Christ, and we're seeing people very far from God feel invited into our fellowship. My hope for Mill City, let me invite the band to come back up, is that we will be committed to fighting to protect our unity as a church. I, I believe that this diversity we have is intentional. It's created by the Holy Spirit of God. It's not a mistake. It's not an accident. It's not a hurdle. I think people outside the Christian faith desperately need to see a church community 
can live well together even though they don't agree on anything. Can you understand how powerful that might be? If people saw us treating each other well even when we didn't, didn't agree? Maybe we'll find that there's something we can't agree on. Maybe, maybe that's true. But Jesus says that God's glory is given to us so that we may be united together in relationship. I really want part of the good news of Jesus Christ to be churches are increasingly good at dealing with difference and honoring and respecting each other and talking things out and fighting well together. Anybody who's been in a marriage relationship for 10 minutes knows if you can't fight well together, you can't go very far, right? There's fighting badly and there's fighting well. Churches that fight well, I think, will, will display the good news of Jesus Christ to the rest of the world. So let's commit together. I'm inviting you. Let's commit together to fight for unity in Mill City Church. Let's look to Jesus as the source of our unity. Let's look to our relationship with Christ as the foundation of the unity that we have. Let's get in rooms together around tables and discuss our differences. Let's always speak with respect about those with whom we disagree. Can we commit to that? Let's always speak with respect about people with whom we disagree, even if we think they're so far gone in their opinions that there's no hope for them. Let's always speak with respect about those people. I'm excited about the future of Mill City Church. This is a muscle we need to build in order to keep doing what God's called us to do. Let's pray together. Jesus, we love you. We exist to bring glory to you. We worship you. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus, in those places that we need to be corrected as individuals or as a church, we pray you open our hearts and our minds to help us to see the world the way that you see it. In those areas, God, where we are on the right track, we pray that you encourage us. And this morning, God, we pray that you, you provide and instill in us a deep commitment to stay in relationship and in unity whenever possible as a church, to speak to each other with kindness and respect, but to be honest about the things of which we disagree and why they matter so much to us. Help us to build that muscle as a congregation and bring you glory in the process. We pray that people who hear about the way that Mill City deals with, with its differences would be interested and intrigued and encouraged to pursue relationship with you, not the other way around. We love you, God. We make many mistakes. We need your forgiveness. We ask for your forgiveness. And we pray that you'd make us into the church that you want us to be today and every day after this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jesus, we pray that you'd send us out today into the world that you love, into our neighborhoods, into our families, in our workplaces, into all the places that you've given us influence and relationship and help us to represent you well, to speak kindly, to listen quickly. God, to honor the glory that you've given to us to call us sons and daughters of yours. May our church bring glory to your name this week as we go out. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Thanks for being with us. Have a great Sunday.